It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Christine about her mysterious chronic pain. Christine has had significant low back pain since she was a teenager, as well as strange pain on the entire right side of her body. Over the last few years, she's been working with a primary care provider to try to figure out what is happening in her body. But as she'll tell us today, she feels like she's working at a disadvantage, since she actually never had a primary care provider until she was 24 years old. Growing up, her mother was very against doctors and didn't allow her to have a primary care provider. She had only been to the doctor a few times as a child, to get stitches at the ER, for example. To complicate matters, she also doesn't have access to her own family history. She's been trying to fill out her medical history as best she can, but there are huge gaps in her memory and no living relatives to help her along this journey. So far, she's discovered that she has osteoarthritis, a painful condition that occurs when the protective cartilage that cushions the ends of bones wears down over time. When Christine was diagnosed, her imaging technician's notes said that this was interestingly progressive for someone her age. At the time of this interview, Christine is only 29 years old. While osteoarthritis is very common in women over 50, to have this type of progression at her age just adds to the mystery. It seems that there is some sort of underlying condition happening here. And as we'll hear, Christine is currently looking into Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, since she does have hypermobility. This is another episode where we have a puzzle on our hands and we're hoping to gather some information from our audience. So as you listen today, if Christine's story strikes a chord with you and you feel like you recognize some of what she's experiencing due to your own experience with chronic illness, please let me know. You can always reach out to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. Learning to advocate for yourself inside of the medical system is hard enough. But not even having a primary care doctor until 24 years old, not having a medical history, not having anyone in your family to ask about what you're experiencing, that makes this so much more complicated. And I was so impressed with Christine's strength and resilience and perseverance as she searches for her own answers. It makes for a super interesting episode, and I'm thrilled to be sharing Christine's story with you on the podcast today. We'll get to it in just a couple minutes. Before we get to that, I do have some exciting announcements to share with you this week. First of all, I have to say thank you to Danielle Signorelli, who sent in a $20 donation in support of the podcast through PayPal. Danielle, thank you so much. You have been such a huge support as I create this podcast, and I can't thank you enough. I have two more huge thank yous to share as we have two new patrons this week, two new Patreon supporters. Extra special thank you to Soph and Susan McDonough who have joined our Patreon community this week. You both now have access to all of our bonus episodes on Patreon. And as I mentioned last week, the newest bonus episode has some really exciting stuff in it that I will be sharing on the main podcast feed probably in about a month's time. Andy and I will be sitting down to do an episode of the main podcast feed to update you all on what's happening with us together. But if you can't wait and you want to get a behind-the-scenes glimpse of what's been going on, the bonus podcast is the place to do it. My disability hearing is coming up in a few weeks, as well as hopefully getting the test results for my small fiber neuropathy test. So I want to collect all the information I can get before we dedicate an episode of the main podcast feed to our updates. But in the meantime, if you're super curious, the bonus podcast is the place to hear what's going on so far. And oh man, I just can't wait to tell you all about this. But like I said, not quite ready yet. If you're interested in supporting this podcast with monthly financial contributions while gaining access to bonus episodes and even special gifts like our Major Pain coasters and tote bags, check out our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers who are supporting this show at the highest tier of $25 per month, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. And once again, thank you so much to our brand new Patreon supporters, Soph and Susan McDonough. You can also now join our Patreon for free and stay up to date on our weekly posts where I post up each episode of the podcast. It's a great place to interact with our community and leave comments on our episodes. And several people have signed up so far. Thank you to all of you who have. It is so exciting to see the Patreon grow. As I mentioned last week, the month of July 2023 was the biggest month of listenership we've ever had on the podcast. 
And as I'm recording this, it is August 1st, so we now have the final tally that in July we had 2,551 downloads. Not only was this the first time that we ever crossed the 2,000 downloads mark in a month, but we got all the way to 2,500 downloads in a single month, which is astonishing. Thank you all so much for listening and sharing the show. It really means a lot to me, and this is a very exciting milestone. Towards the end of season two of the podcast, we did a great episode with Toya Jules about living with lupus nephritis, and she discussed her plans to launch a new nonprofit called the Village Tree Health Support Network. And I'm very excited to announce that their website is now up and running. This nonprofit has launched. It is a support network for those managing complex health needs. I highly encourage you to get involved either as a patient who needs support or as a donor who wants to help to support this organization. They have a brand new website, villagetreehealth.org. I will put a link in the show notes of this episode. I'm continuing to hit milestones with my own health, and during July, I actually worked a job for the first time in almost seven years. I was the company manager for a workshop of a new musical here in Seattle that my partner Andy was a part of, called A Debate with Three Andy Warhols, a fantastic political satire musical. I really love this show, and I had a great experience as a company manager. That position basically means that I was sort of the logistics person to make sure that everyone had what they needed so that rehearsals and performances would go smoothly. I'm still very new to feeling better, <laughs> but I'm making so much progress, and the fact that I was able to work at all was a huge, huge sign that things are going in the right direction. There was definitely days during the process where I had to rest for an entire day unexpectedly, which is, of course, very stressful to not know when my body's going to be functioning or not. But I have to say, now that it's all done, it went a little better than I expected. I feel like I'm building up some resilience with my health, and it's still so bizarre to hear myself say those words out loud, but it's very exciting and something that I'm very grateful to be experiencing. Of course, since I've been doing better, I've also been pouring a lot of time and energy into this podcast, which has been extremely rewarding. One of the hardest parts of working last month was balancing the podcast and working. So that is a concern for me in the future. And it's why having some financial support come in for creating this podcast is more important than ever, because that allows me to set aside the time that I need to continue to create this show. So supporting the show on Patreon is hugely, hugely helpful. Of course, you can also sign up to participate in research studies and surveys through Rare Patient Voice using our affiliate link, rarepatientvoice.com slash Podcast. You can follow the show on social media, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at Major Pain Podcast. Share the show with a friend. Leave us positive ratings and reviews wherever you listen to your podcasts. All of these things will help the show grow, help us to reach new listeners. And as the show grows, I hope that the financial support I receive for creating the show will continue to grow as well. And you can learn about all the ways to support this podcast on our website, majorpainpodcast.com support. I've been feeling for a while that something I'd love to do with this podcast is to hire a publicist. By the time I'm done creating the show each week and putting together our clips of the episodes that go out on social media, I don't have as much time to look into, you know, advertising the show. I feel like what we've built here is so unique and so special. I'd love to find a way to get it written about in publications. Who knows? If you are listening and you have publicity experience and are interested in getting involved in helping to grow this podcast, please reach out to me, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. I'll remind you as always that my guests and I are not medical professionals. Please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our fantastic episode with Christine about her mysterious chronic pain. Christine, welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to be here, Jesse. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Um, always a pleasure to have a fellow Pacific Northwesterner on the show. <laughs> of course. Heck yeah. Yeah, we're getting some amazing weather right now. It's so exciting. I wasn't prepared, but I am definitely looking forward to not colds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Christine, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Okay. Um, my name is Christine. I am 29. I was born and raised here in the Pacific Northwest. Specifically, Oregon, just south of Portland. Um, I am a photographer and a cat mom. I'm married to my high school sweetheart. We have been married now for 10 years. Oh, wow. 
both um, really big pro wrestling fans <laughs> and Portland Timbers fans. Portland Timbers. What is that? Uh, professional soccer. Okay, cool. I do have to thank you for being a member of the uh, Patreon community. You just joined a couple weeks ago, and I was so excited to see that. Thank you so much. Yeah, it honestly, it felt like the right call because I really enjoyed the podcast the last few months. And I think you and guests have helped me a lot. So it was the least I could do. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much. It It is so appreciated. Everyone who is supporting the show just means the world to me. Well, let's get into your story. So, Christine, what is your major pain? I would say my major pain is not having an official diagnosis for lifelong chronic illness. Oh, yes. You're speaking my language. (laughs) (laughs) Story of my life as well. Um, Okay. So, what is your chronic mystery illness? What are the symptoms? So, everything at the moment is, well, it was, I should say, displaying as osteoarthritis Mm -hmm. in my lower back and my hips. So we started doing um, treatment for osteoarthritis. We are a year out from that now. And osteoarthritis treatment is not doing anything. So we're looking further down the rabbit hole into um, actually Ehlers-Danlos because of some joint hypermobility I have and some extra just features that fit with that diagnosis. Interesting. So it sounds like low back and hip pain is is sort of the, the primary concern. Yeah, just trying to figure out where that pain is coming from. Um, Because I've had sciatica, but it is it is a very different pain from sciatica. It is more of like a feels like joints are grinding across each other or things are stuck and I can't move my hip or I can't bend my leg. Um, It's just right now I have to work through it. I have to try and stretch and relax a little. Then I'm okay, but it depends on the weather, the pressure outside. If it's raining, I could flare up. Who knows? Wow. Yeah. That's so frustrating to to have something like that going on in your body and not know why. So it sounds like sometimes it'll kind of lock up and prevent you from moving at all. Yeah. It's actually um, the start of it is what sent me to the emergency room a couple years back was mm. it locked up in the middle of the night. And when I went to get up in the morning, I could not bend my leg at the hip. It was just completely stuck in that position. Um, So I went to the emergency room and they were like, oh, you just have sciatica. Have you been on a road trip recently? And I had driven to California like a few months prior. Hmm. And so the ER doc was just like, yeah, it sounds like you've just got some real bad sciatica. Here's some morphine. Go home and ice it. And when that didn't do anything, I was kind of frustrated um and that led me to find a a pcp that was like well first off they shouldn't have just said you have sciatica and sent you home they should have done a ct or something but yeah here we are tell me about sciatica that's i know that that is pain yeah but i really don't know much about it beyond that there's a sciatic nerve that runs down the, the length of like your lower spine and it actually goes underneath a muscle in your butt all the way down your leg. So sometimes if um, if you were to like extend your right leg back about three inches so you can kind of like kick yourself in the butt, hmm. that would be right where that, that sciatic nerve runs. And sometimes okay. it'll get pinched or compressed okay. in between inflamed muscle, um, in between tissue, and it causes a sensation of like burning or like a Charlie horse. It's hmm. just all the way down the back of the legs. Okay. And it sounds like long periods of inactivity or just like sitting in the same position for a long period, like a long trip can, yeah. that can be one of the triggers. So, yeah. yeah. So the doctor just kind of brushes it off as like, this is something that is probably just going to resolve itself or just go away and sends you home. PCP mm-hmm. doesn't agree. So what, yeah. what does the PCP do next? So my my PCP and I have been, it sounds weird to say it this way, but my PCP and I have been together for six years now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he actually is the, the same one that gave me my PTSD diagnosis. Mm. Um, so we initially we discussed the links between chronic pain and anxiety and how those can go hand in hand and pain can manifest because of anxiety. But I, I argued a little bit with him. I was mm. like, it's not like that. 
I've had pain my entire life, even when I'm on top of the moon. Like I could have the greatest day in the world and I am still in pain. So we decided let's try to tackle the pain and the anxiety at the same time. Hmm. And I know I've heard you talk about this medication before. So uh, I am currently on 60 milligrams of Cymbalta, better known as duloxetine. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it's what a whirlwind. Um, it definitely helps my anxiety. I am I am not nearly as much of a grizzly bear as I used to be <laughs> on on different anxiety meds. But for pain and and like the chronic pain, I just don't feel like it's doing anything for me. Yeah, fascinating. And yeah, this is one of the medications that was given to me at one point to try to combat chronic pain. Mm-hmm. And it just made me feel sick and I didn't last very long on it at all. Uh, I didn't have a yeah. good reaction to it. But but yeah, this I mean, this is, you know, such a uh, <laughs> such a heavy topic that I really struggle with is this this yeah. thing of doctors telling patients that your pain is caused by anxiety. But you're in a, I mean, I commend you for, you know, for giving your, your PCP the benefit of the doubt and saying, you know what, I'll give it a shot. Let's try it. Mm-hmm. Give me the medication. But now you have evidence that, you know, sure, maybe I do have anxiety and this duloxetine, this Cymbalta is helping with that, but it's not touching the pain. So now right. is your doctor willing to separate those in his mind and try to tackle it differently? Yeah. So the great thing about this doctor is he really likes to keep the ball in my court. Hmm. So yesterday was our check-in and I actually told him, you know, I'm feeling great with my anxiety, like not having my real low lows, which was a problem before, but the pain in my back is debilitating to the point that like at work, I can do my job for a couple hours and then I have to take a break and I don't do much. I'm a photographer. So I'm imaging and editing things all day, which probably means I'm sitting a little too much. Hmm. And so in that he's like, okay, let's stay on the deloxetine. And he prescribed me lidocaine patches, Wow, which I've never used before, but I was like, okay, so why don't I just go buy the over the counter ones that are cheaper? We'll see. And then I'm going back to my physical therapist to have him do a test for Ehlers-Danlos. All of my veins are trans... Like, you can see through my skin. You can see all of my veins, all of my blood vessels. Mm. My my thumbs extend all the way back. All the it's, way. Wow. <laughs> oh, all the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, it's kind of just one of those things that we talked about it. And he was like, interesting. Yeah, let's check that out. Let's see if that information can help us further. Yeah. That's the next step is trying to see, um, I guess, technically, if I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Yeah. Tell me tell me more about this debilitating back pain. Where is it located? Do you know what your SI joints are? Vaguely. Okay. okay so <laughs> This is great. This Because me not being a, a medical professional, I always have to ask questions. And I feel like that just makes it better for the podcast because I'm sure there's people out there that don't know as much as I don't know. (laughs) Exactly. That's perfect. Um, So at the very bottom of your back in almost in between your hip bones, there is a section of your spine, like where your tailbone is, I guess Uh that should only rotate about a quarter millimeter in each direction. It's like, it's a very small amount, but it's, it's cavities that run either side of your spine and kind of connect the back of your pelvis. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is being osteoarthritis there for me, there's not a lot of cushioning there. So when I'm walking, if I don't have a good sturdy stride, I'll get a lot of friction back there that'll cause irritation that will turn into inflammation. Um, and then things like lifting, lifting boxes, if I'm not doing that exactly correctly, it will cause just like this pain like somebody took a screwdriver and stabbed it in between my joints wow um last week i actually had a flare-up that was was really bad it kept me home from work because i couldn't sit down without having to like lower myself like an old person so day to day it's different like i wake up one day and i'm like i'm great let's do this i could wake up tomorrow and say wow i really overdid it yesterday and now i'm in a lot of pain Wow, I'm so sorry to hear that. So I'm trying to remember my 
arthritis. <laughs> I know rheumatoid arthritis is the autoimmune version. Is osteoarthritis the, is that the one that is like the wear and tear version of arthritis? Technically, yes. It, that would be what people know as the wear and tear disease. But my doctor and I, another team at Providence, along with some other professionals that I've listened to recently, have actually tried to steer away from wear and tear because everybody has wear and tear on their joints. It's just going to happen. At 30 years old, you shouldn't have complete lack of cushion in your joints. Mm. Um, so a lot of times osteo will show up after an injury, like a really bad fall or broken bones. People tend to have osteo after that because the cushioning in between the joints doesn't heal properly. Was there anything like that for you? Um, when I was about 12, I fell like really hard on my tailbone and it was never taken care of. Mm. So there is that chance. And unfortunately, in my situation, I don't have access to like my family medical history. So we're kind of just flying by the seat of our pants right now. Yeah. Are you currently operating under the assumption that you do have osteoarthritis? Or are you, yes. is that like on the table and you're still trying to figure out if that's accurate? So I, I do with x-ray and MRI, I do have osteoarthritis okay. that <laughs> according, and it made me laugh. According to the technician that wrote my notes on my MRI, I have interestingly progressive is what he said for my age. Hmm. And I was like, what does that mean? And I had my doctor explain it to me. And he's like, I don't know. The technician wrote that. And I think what he means is that this is a lot for a 30 year old. And I was like, okay. That's just, that's how we're going to go. We're going to assume that right now I have really bad osteo in my lower back. And if this Ehlers-Danlos syndrome diagnosis comes through, then that will actually help us to get further along with my joint mobility and hopefully less losing mobility. Yeah. Is there a connection between Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and osteoarthritis? Not that I have heard of. I don't know how much of it is like crossover symptoms. Um, my physical therapist was telling me today that with Ehlers-Danlos, there's a lot of like prolonged joint pain. And then the flares versus the good days. And I was like, okay, so it sounds like exactly what I was told with osteo. Mm. So it's kind of not a one size fits all. We're hoping that it's not Ehlers-Danlos just because that opens a can of worms to a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, and you know, all of these things are so tricky because, you know, with the hypermobile form of Ehlers-Danlos, there is no genetic test. All the other forms mm -hmm. there are, but, mm -hmm. um, but you mentioned hypermobility. So I'm assuming that that's the form you're looking into. Uh, is that yeah, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And then it's so frustrating. It's like, yeah, I have pain. Why do I have pain? Well, mm -hmm. let's try some medications and see if we can target it. And that would kind of lead towards a more specific diagnosis in some cases. But in other cases, it doesn't. So it's just like, what do yeah. I do? You know, what do, you, what do I do? How do I get out of pain? That's all you really want is to figure out how to get out of pain. Exactly. And like, I don't want to always be in pain. I don't always want to be on the edge of my seat because I don't know if I can go out with my friends tonight. Mm. But when they just say, here's a Band-Aid, it's kind of like, now it's my turn. Now I have to be the one to advocate and say, look, something else is happening. Yeah. Is that a skill you're developing? Is that something that comes naturally to you? Oh, gosh, not naturally at all. <laughs> um, I guess the the real tricky part of this is is my my mother actually was very against doctors. Like, she didn't trust them. She didn't believe that they were going to actually help her. So a lot of that medical trauma was put on me. Hmm. I, at 20 was the first time that I went and saw a PCP and was like, hey, I've got some issues. Wow, that's fascinating. So so what was that like to go to the doctor for the first time at 24? Do they do a, a huge like workup and check everything and see what, what type of shape you're in? It didn't, I mean, it didn't feel like that. But yeah, I, I went in and they started asking me like top to bottom, what do you know? What's your family history? When were you born? How were you born? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of information. <laughs> so we filled it out like the best that we could, but there are glaring gaps in my medical history that we just don't know 
because we don't have family to turn around and ask, hey, did you ever experience this? Mm. So I am just kind of going off what I remember of of family and their ailments. To me, though, being so young that it was kind of like I didn't know. I didn't ask them, how's your pain today at, yeah. at, as a teenager? Yeah. How flexible are you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that must feel so isolating. You know, I know that chronic illness is yeah. isolating, but then not having family to ask about the history of your own body must add a layer to that. I would say it's strange. Um, I'm one of those that like, I kind of have gotten used to just doing things myself and getting answers on my own. So the isolation part doesn't really bother me too much. But going into a doctor's office and being like, hey, so I don't have any living relatives that I can talk to about family medical history. Um, what do I do? It's, it's an odd feeling. Yeah. Has anyone brought up genetic testing? Yeah. So we, we talked about genetic testing and at the moment it's just insurance is being picky. I know. So it's, it's on the back burner of something I do want yeah. to do. I just don't feel like fighting with the insurance again. Yeah. It all, it almost always has to come out of pocket, which is so upsetting. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, my dream with this podcast is to someday have enough financial support coming in to produce this show that I can help people pay for genetic testing. Like that's my dream. Unfortunately, I'm not there. I wish I was. <laughs> that is a beautiful dream, though, Jesse. Yeah. Well, if, if that happens and you haven't gotten testing yet, you're on the list. Um, <laughs> I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, I, I had to get lucky in having someone who could afford to gift that to me because it wasn't going to happen. And I, right. I know that, you know, in the diagnostic journey it often gets to a point where it's like, hey, well, if we could do genetic testing, we could rule out like 7,000 things with one test, yeah. but insurance doesn't want to pay for it. So we're not going to do yeah. that. And it's just like, well, I'd really like to, you know, I'd really exactly. like to like, know. Why, why dangle the bait in front of me and then tell me it's going to cost me $5,000? Yeah. Yeah. Through my hospital, it was $10,000. It was, it was insane. But out of wow. pocket, it ended up being like 2,500 um, when my, my partner you know, mm -hmm. gifted that to me, which was huge. And it didn't yield a diagnosis, but it did rule out like 7,000 things. And yeah, when you're, yeah. when you don't know what's going on in your body, that is like a, a huge step in the right direction. Um, but yeah, so frustrating that that is almost always such a stumbling block in, in this process. And it does feel like they, they always want to go the route of here, do the most expensive test. <laughs> even if it's not going to yield any kind of results it's still well we got to try it yeah and in your case i feel like even just doing the ellers danlos panel would be a huge a huge step in the right direction um I, although you know the the hypermobile form is not a genetic test yet right but all forms of ehlers danlos syndrome have some severe comorbidities and it's good to know if you have that so you can know what to look out for mm -hmm. Exactly. There's there's been a lot of of myself like listening to other guests on the podcast. Um, can't remember names, but people have talked about pots yeah. and and how that happens. And then, so I wear my Apple Watch, and I actually started paying attention like yeah. to my heart rate and things that are happening that I'm just like, whoa! I never would have realized when my heart rate goes up when I stand up that that's a problem. Yeah, because it it does jump significantly, and then I'm left kind of feeling weak, a little heart palpitation, and then I'm okay. Yeah, and I had no idea that was even a a weird quote unquote thing until I heard somebody talk about it. Yeah, totally. And you know, getting a tilt table test is really difficult to to have mm -hmm. that checked. That's something that took me like months and months, if not, I think close to a year, to get a test done. Once I first brought it up with my doctor. It's wild how long you have to just sit and wait. Yeah, totally. Most tests are like, yeah, well, let's go do this blood test and you can get it done, you know, on your way out the door from the doctor's mm -hmm. office. <laughs> but when you get into the more rare diseases and the, the stuff that the medical establishment doesn't work with as much, just getting someone to agree to do the test can take months, let alone getting the test done. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the, the history of your pain. It sounds like it didn't start when you woke up with your hip locked in place. It sounds like you might have had this kind of your whole life. Yeah. So I would say that day that I woke up and I went to the emergency room was like 
my last straw. Yeah. Probably since I was a teenager, like 13, 14, I've had kind of significant low back pain, but it was always just chalked up to, oh, maybe you're just having a rough period months Mm -hmm. or, oh, maybe you just sat down in that stupid school chair too long. There was always something that my mom had to come back with to like ease me a little bit. Um, going forward, like into senior year, I was probably 17, 18, and I got my first migraine, which actually took me out of our homecoming festivities. And I went home and my mom was like, well, did you eat anything today? Were you staring at the computer today? And I was like, okay, well, yes, I ate something and I was at the computer during that class, but nothing, I don't see anything that triggered my migraine. And it was, okay, well, go lay down in this in this dark, cold room. I'm going to bring you some food. Just chill. And that was it. That was all that was touched on with a migraine. So that's how I believed you deal with it. Hmm. Uh, going forward even further, I was nannying in my early 20s and going for walks with the kids all the time, realizing I would get a couple blocks down the road and my hand would naturally migrate to that lower spot in my back to just kind of brace myself. And then it would start to feel like bruising. And I just kept brushing it off. I was like, I just need to go sit down. I just need to go relax. Now come to find out that pain is actually based on like the way I'm moving. Hmm. Uh, I didn't have a steady gait. And I kind of lean to my right side a little bit. Not sure if that's from like mismatched legs or if that's from a like spinal curve. But it's not something that physical therapy was able to help with. It's kind of now just I know my 10 out of 10 pain is going to put me in bed for the whole day. Otherwise, my baseline every day is a five or a six of I've always got that low back pain. Um, I can, sometimes I will take like an ibuprofen or an Advil just to get a little bit of relief, but I don't like stacking medications as much as that because I'm already prescribed something that's supposed to help for pain. Hmm. Currently I'm taking the, just the Cymbalta and then I have Flexeril is the other one for like really bad days. Okay. I'm not familiar with that one. Is that an anti-inflammatory? I don't, it's sitting on my shelf just far enough that I can't read it. Um, <laughs> it's actually, yeah, it's for, for pain and inflammation. Um, mm. I think it's also, it might be this one, Meloxicam. Oh, yeah. I took that. That is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, Meloxicam. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that one, just, it makes me feel really cruddy. Like, mm. I just want to go snuggle up in bed and not do anything. So I try not to take that one as much as possible. Yeah, my doctor told me that I had to try meloxicam in order to get peroxicam, which is, I guess, more expensive version. So insurance doesn't want you to try it first. Interesting. She says that people tolerate it better, and I, I use that for a while, and I'm now off of off of those since I've got onto MCAS medications, and those are working. It's like, wow, I don't actually need that um, constant oh, wow. pain management anymore, which is huge. Um, just like individual days now, where it's like, oh, well, I'm in. Full body pain today, and I'm not sure why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think honestly, that's the the hardest part to get through is is waking up and and playing the guessing game with yourself. Of yeah. Like, how much can I do today? Yeah. I don't personally like to use the spoon theory, but I always have that in the back of my head of like when I wake up on a really bad day, I've got five spoons to use. Mm-hmm. So you better hope that hanging out on the couch is one of those spoons. <laughs> Have you had joint pains or, or body pain anywhere else on your body besides the low back? Yeah. And weirdly enough, it's actually my entire right side. Oh, wow. So I'm not sure why we've gone so long with just focusing on my back. Um, I think probably because that's the, the main focus. It's a big part of your body that's going to impact other parts of your body. If I was to go like this, you could draw a straight line from my fingertips all the way down to my toes on my right side. where my joints are always just kind of stiff and achy. And I I have a lot of like popping Mm. all the time. That's so interesting. That's just one side. I've I've, I've spoken to several people with Ehlers-Danlos and I've never, I don't think anyone's ever mentioned that being a part of it. That sounds unusual. 
Right. And that's why I'm kind of, I'm willing to work with my doctor and my PT to like find answers, but getting them to understand like it's only one side of my body. Like my left side has aches and pains. Yeah. But the joint pain and the stiffness and the inflammation is just the right side of my body. Wow. That's so interesting. I know there are one-sided diseases that do that. And I, I had a lot of issues where my right side, the pain on my right side was always a yeah, lot higher than yeah, on the left. Absolutely. Yeah. Are you satisfied that you're getting the care that you need, that your doctors are digging in the right place? At the moment, I think a lot of it has been because of me advocating. Mm-hmm. So I want to let my doctors do their job. But had I gone in there six years ago when I was completely medically illiterate and didn't believe in doctors, I wouldn't have been able to advocate for myself. And I would have just let them give me the morphine and send me home. Hmm. Now I'm in a position to be able to say, okay, but I need extra help with this and this. And my doctor has been phenomenal with, with listening to what I need and not just trying to give me his medical degree. Yeah. It sounds like a real puzzle. Are you open to any listeners sending in some ideas? You know, this one-sided pain, low back pain. Yeah, okay. Well, if people have ideas, if you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, I know what that is, please shoot me an email, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com, and I will pass that along to Christine. Yeah, honestly, the the amount of people on the show that have brought up things that I had never even heard of has, has really helped me to realize doctors don't know everything. They're there to help us. I mean, they should be at least. But if we want answers, we have to be willing to work with them, not against them. That's so true. And it sounds like you've got a great PCP who's really listening to you and and trying things out and willing to work with you. So I think that finding this PCP I have was kind of an accident. I really did just look up available doctors in the area and he was on the list and I was like, okay, cool. We're going to go see him. And now here we are six years later and he's still on this journey with me and helping me as much as he can. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, sometimes that's the best we can find. And uh, just having someone who's willing to open doors for you and listen to you when you come in with new ideas of new things to try. And that's so important. Has he sent you to many specialists like a rheumatologist? Not yet. Um, I do think after we talked yesterday that going to a rheumatologist might be our next step Mm. Um, after like Ehlers-Danlos and whether we confirm or deny that, like just getting that checked off the list. Um, We've already done rheumatological testing to prove that I don't have rheumatoid arthritis or any of the markers for those. But according to what he has to say, there are other things the rheumatologist can help me with. So we'll see. Chances are my care team will be twice the size in a few months. (laughs) So how do you get through the day when you have these, you know, 10 out of 10 bad pain days? You know, do you still just turn the lights off and go into a dark space and wait it out? Or are there coping mechanisms that help? As much as I want to just go lay in a dark room, I always feel guilty for that. Mm. So I definitely have, um, like on my bad days, I have a routine of getting up and doing some really light stretching, just enough to like make sure my joints are still moving. Uh, Usually followed by either heat or ice. It just depends on whatever's more comfortable that day because it varies. And a lot of times it's just making sure that I have easy food to make. Mm. Unfortunately, a cup of noodle is like, like I'll pop that in the microwave for a few seconds and I don't have to stand in the kitchen for a long time. Yeah. At work, I have the ability to just take a few minutes off the clock and do what I need to do. So the same thing at work, like I have ice packs there. So just in case it gets really bad and I can't make it home, I can at least have some relief. 10 out of 10 days are far and few between now, but when they do come up, I at least know what my body needs a little bit better. Considering that you didn't have any medical care before 24 And then you started doing that and advocating for yourself, learning about different diseases. Is there a weird feeling of guilt for doing that since you were kind of raised not to? Yeah. And and also that that kind of nagging feeling of like, oh my gosh, am I being a Google doctor? 
because I think that was always the, the fear was that I was going to get too wrapped up in having a migraine that I was going to Google doctor myself. And now I think about it and I'm like, at the end of the day, learning what I'm learning, it's better this way. I'm, I'm not going to just sit here and wonder and ignore symptoms. I think I ignored a lot of symptoms for way too long. And now that I know they are not normal things, it makes it a little easier to just accept it. Do you think back on your childhood and the way that you thought about medicine and have a strange feeling? I mean, I'm trying to imagine what it must be like to, to not have gone to a doctor until 24. All the time. So when it, when I say I've not gone to a doctor, it was like not a primary care physician. Like okay. I'd been to the emergency room and had mm. stitches, but never had anybody take the time to be like, hey, you've got some issues. Let's fix those for you. Mm. Now at almost 30 years old, I feel like I'm doing the best I can, but I started the game late. So it's like when I walk into a doctor's office, I'm looking at people in the waiting room and I'm like, All of you know why you're here, and I don't. Mm. I know that's not the case. That's just me being anxious about it. Um, But I hope that one day I'll I'll be more knowledgeable, and then I can be the person that's helping someone else in the same situation. Yeah, it's fascinating, because you also have a hard-to-diagnose situation that is taking a long time. It's It's more normal than we'd want it to be. But it is still not necessarily what people consider to be expected. You know, I talk to people all the time that live through that, and I live through that, so I get that. <laughs> but I think that, you know, the, the idea of, like, I started late and I'm a little behind on this type of care, on top of not having a diagnosis, I think mm-hmm. must amplify that feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because there's so many things and, like, not to be sexist, but like as a woman, when you have low back pain and pelvis pain, there's so many things and so many red flags that could alarm your doctors. Mm. So I had to really go in with the, trust me, I'm not having any stomach issues. I'm not pregnant, nor have I ever been. It is just my back pain that I am here for. And getting them to see, oh, okay, so you understand the difference between low back pain and like period cramps. I'm like, yes, yes, I do. Thank you. <laughs> I, I do feel like at first a lot, of, um, a lot of the questions I was being asked were leaning towards like they were trying to find out if I had endometriosis. Hmm. And I was like, okay, so let's, let's find out. And they're like, well, it's not that easy. So now, you know, doing other testing, doing other research, learning that endometriosis pain does not manifest this way. I'm able to say, okay, I'm not worried about that right now. Let's move on and cross up some other boxes. Yeah. Tell me about uh, your your high school sweetheart, you said. How has this uh, chronic pain impacted your relationship? Weirdly enough, I think it has made our relationship so much stronger than it ever has been because he had to really... I guess step up to the plate. Like a few years ago, he was working a retail job and we were just kind of making ends meet. And then when my health started to decline and I wasn't able to work as much, I was like, I have to do something else. He got a better job, um, allowed me to take on something part time just to help us financially. And now we are at the point where he is the first person I talk to after every single doctor's appointment. He's the one asking me questions like, okay, what did the doctor say today? Okay, what's next? Okay, where do we need to go from here? Um, Never making me feel like it's me or my fault. So that has been like the biggest blessing. But otherwise, like we've known each other since we were third graders. (laughs) And he tells me all the time how he has watched me. He has watched me hurt. And then he has watched me come out of that hurt. And he tells me that this is just another one of those hurts. Like one day I will be better. One day I will get through this, but I'm not doing it alone. That's beautiful. And also so important because, because you don't have those genetic relatives to have someone mm-hmm. that's known you since third grade. That is very rare, you know, to yes. have your life partner be your, 
not just your high school sweet sweetheart, but someone you knew since elementary school. I mean, that's yeah. that's a real gift. Yeah, exactly. Like he's he's watched me go through every weird hurdle that puberty and life threw at me. And I think when we when we first started talking about like, oh, I have osteoarthritis in my back, he was like, yeah. Okay, so let's think about this. When did you really start having pain? Oh, it was about five years ago. Yeah, that makes sense. And me at the time, I was so like up in my head, like couldn't figure out my timelines. And he was right there to be like, no, I witnessed it. I've been there this whole time. Here's your timeline for you. So anytime that I'm like not sure of what happened when, he's he's the best person I can have in my corner. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so if anyone's listening, we've got osteoarthritis. We have like strange progression of that disease. Um, it seems to be happening faster than it should for a 30-year-old. Chronic pain on the right side of your body. Hypermobility. Is that the short list of things? I would probably add migraines to that. Migraines, yes. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that would be my short list. Honestly, yeah. those are my major pains. Yeah. Okay, so if you're listening and that, that strikes a chord with you, please let us know. What is your hope for what comes next? I mean, obviously, getting a diagnosis, but getting a diagnosis is the beginning of a next chapter in a journey. So what is your hope for what happens next? Honestly, like outside of a diagnosis, I just hope that I can continue to meet people and help people that are in the same boat because education is kind of hard to come by when you're dealing with a mystery illness. Yeah. Google is going to give you every you're dying answer that it can. So <laughs> if there is someone else that has gone through something similar to me, I want to be able to say, hey, I know what you're dealing with. I got you just because that's the type of person I am. Yeah, I love that. How has this chronic pain journey affected your mental health? I know that being in pain all the time, there is a mental aspect to that that is so difficult of, you know, asking these questions of why me, and then having to kind of steal yourself constantly to live through another day of yet more pain. So how, <laughs> how has that been for you? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, um, you nailed it, though, that why me is such a feeling of constant guilt. Like, why, why am I the one that can't go walk five miles with my friends or why am I the one that can't ride a bike with family there are days when I definitely feel very woe is me and and I have to remind myself like one bad day doesn't make it a bad life mm. um but knowing that I will have another good day I I will have a day that's not gonna be as painful keeps me going it's it's just getting through those hard days where having the extra support of my partner or the community that really helps. Yeah, that's a really powerful statement. One, one bad day does not equal a bad life. I think that's so yeah. important. And being okay with letting go of some days, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just having days where you're not going to be productive. And you're not going to be able to accomplish the things you wanted. You're going to have to cancel your plans. Um, and that gets so upsetting when it happens over and over and you never know when it's going to happen. But not allowing that to be your story and to yeah. take advantage of the good days when they happen and harness that energy and, and live off of that goodness when you have the chance to feel it is really important. Exactly. And someone actually told me once that the bad days are necessary for the good ones to mean something. Totally. Yeah, that's something I love about the weather in the Pacific Northwest. You know, I'm from San Diego where it's sunny all the time. Uh, and up here, sunny days feel so different because we go through so many rainy days that <laughs> when the sun comes out, it's just glorious in a way that it wasn't in San Diego, where sometimes the sun could become oppressive because it was so hot. Um, yeah. So, yeah, having that juxtaposition of feeling the opposite of something to know what the thing is and, and how to value it, it's, it's really important. Exactly. And as shitty as it seems, having a chronic illness or chronic pain, I think, teaches us that 
and and helps us understand that a little bit more than an able-bodied person. Absolutely. I totally agree. Well, I have one more question for you. So if you could go back in time and give yourself a message at the beginning of your pain journey, what would you say to yourself? Oh, wow. I know I've heard you ask this to every person on the podcast, but I never thought of my own answer. <laughs> um, I would probably have to go back to like 12-year-old Christine when I first fell and hurt my back and just just let her know like you're not alone. Sometimes it's going to feel like you're alone on this journey, but trust me, you're not. Mm. And I think just in the last year, probably even just the last six months, I've learned so much about myself as well as how to sympathize with people that are going through similar things. Um, I just wish that I, I had had someone like myself when I was younger. Yeah, totally. Well, Christine, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. I know you're, you're on the journey and this journey is not over. So keep me updated. If, if there's anyone listening, like we said, please email me, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com if you have ideas that you'd like to suggest, things to try, diagnoses to look into. And Christine, please tell us where people can go to connect with you online or if there's anything you'd like to plug. So at the moment, uh, I don't use social media very often just because pain kind of took a lot of time. Um, but you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at PNW for Pacific Northwest Gargoyle. Uh, that's P-N-W-G-A-R-G-O-Y-L-E. And I have all of my photography there. Uh, you can check that out and let me know what you think because I love criticism and feedback. Awesome. Yeah, I always love when people have you know, creative outlets. I think that having a creative outlet is actually a fantastic way to live with chronic pain, <laughs> to have Absolutely. something to live for and to create and to feel good about, I think is so, so important. Absolutely. Well, Christine, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story uh, and for supporting this podcast. It means so much to me. And I wish you all the best in your journey. Please let me know if you make any steps in the right direction or even the wrong direction, just keep me updated. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jesse. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, Justin Minnick, Heather Muncy, and Robert, and our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpain podcast.